that being said, we're going to dive into our series that we are in the middle of. It is called Dead Man Walking. We're in our third week, and for some of you who are just joining us today, you might be like, why did you call this thing Dead Man Walking? That is a terrible title. And, and the reason we chose it is because that phrase, dead man walking, is used to describe someone who is leaving their cell for the last time and entering the execution chamber. Uh, because of some sort of capital offense that they've committed. And for us, we just think that actually this highlights the life and ministry of Jesus in such a profound way. Because even though a person walking from their cell to the execution chamber is not dead yet, their death is so intimate and is so real that it's like they are the walking dead, not zombies, but like they are like They're already dead. It's so real. And Jesus' death is the same thing. That as he is doing every miracle and every teaching and every act of kindness, as he walks towards Jerusalem, he is getting closer and closer to his death. He is essentially a dead man walking. The only difference is that when somebody commits a capital crime, the hope is that they are guilty and that they have actually done something. But for Jesus, that's not true. Jesus committed no offense of his own. In fact, his whole motivation to walk towards the cross, to walk towards his death, was motivated out of love for you and me. It was for our offenses that he died. And if we are followers of Jesus, we actually are also dead men and dead women walking. We know that Christ has taken care of this life, that that our old self has died and our new self has come to life. And Lent is actually the time leading up to Easter. It's actually this beautiful time to kind of evaluate our lives and see what are the old self habits and attitudes and behaviors that we're still holding on to. And what are the things that we need to let go and, and, and what are the new life stuff the new life attitudes and behaviors and habits that we need to take hold of so that we can live in this new life that Christ offers us through his death. So these past couple weeks and leading up to Easter, we've been looking at these key moments, six key moments in the life of Jesus as he walks to Jerusalem, as he walks to his death. And and we've kind of looked at the ways that we may need to lay some things down that we're a part of our old life and take up something new so that we can live out this new life that he has given us. Now, this week, we're actually going to be looking at the words that Jesus taught, what Jesus spoke and what he said. And if you have ever walked with someone towards death, you know that as death becomes more imminent, their words oftentimes become more poignant more important. They they find the courage and the strength to say the things that maybe earlier in life they never would have said. And yet in these moments of facing death, they are powerful and there's an urgency to their message. And the same thing is true of Jesus. And so what is it that Jesus finds is the most important thing to communicate? Well, in the book of Matthew, in chapter 4, verse 13, what Matthew says to us is that from that point on, which is basically what we talked about last week, he gets baptized, he walks into the desert and is tempted, and then he comes out, and Matthew says, from that point on, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is his death time message. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, honestly, this 
message doesn't sound very compelling. Um, at first glance, it doesn't even really seem like something that sounds very important or life-changing. In fact, uh, the word repent actually sounds really scary because oftentimes it's used to say, repent, you're going to hell, right? This is not the message that Jesus says. This is not how he's using repent at all. In fact, the word repent isn't repent, you're going to hell. The word repent is a word that means turn, pay attention. There's something really exciting happening. The kingdom of heaven has come near. And for the first century listeners and for us today, it is actually incredibly good news. In fact, the first century listeners could not get enough of this message. Repent, the kingdom of heaven has come near. In Matthew 4, he actually says that Jesus was followed by massive crowds. Like from a 20-mile radius in every direction, people came to hear what Jesus had to say. They wanted to hear. They, they even did the extreme effort of bringing those who were sick and those who were hurting and those who were marginalized and outcast to come hear what Jesus said. And there weren't cars that you could just like prop somebody up with pillows and take them to go see Jesus. No, this was like a days, days long journey in order to get somebody who was hurt to come see Jesus and come hear what he had to say. There was no YouTubing it. So you had to go and people flocked to him. This message was such good news. But in order to understand why it was good news, we've got to go back and we've got to put our, uh, ourselves in the shoes of someone who was a first century listener. So I want you for a second to imagine yourself as a first century person. I'm going to give you a job. You're a fisherman or a fisherwoman. I'm sure those existed. So you were a fisher person. This was your job. And you were Jewish, and you were living in your ancestral homeland. The land that you lived on had been in your family for generations and generations and generations and generations. This was your land, but you were not truly free because of the Roman occupation. The Romans had come in, and they had basically conquered the land, and they let you stay, but they made life really, really difficult for you. They were brutal and hard rulers. They were break-your-kneecap kind of people. And what they did, probably to force you out of your land so that they could have it, was every year they would raise taxes higher and higher and higher and higher and higher. And so when you look to your left and your right, your neighbors that used to live around you for generations and generations, all of a sudden you saw them and heard stories of them being plunged into debt they could no longer pay these high taxes, and as a result, they were hurting, and they couldn't get medical treatment, and they couldn't get food, and eventually they just had to sell the property that had been in their family for generations. And Romans would come in and occupy the land. So life was not really a great place, and life actually felt a little bit like you were plummeting down into an abyss. Now, I don't know if you've ever felt that way. But have you? I know that you're not fisher people, and I know we're certainly not under Roman occupation. But do you ever feel like you can't catch a break? Do you ever feel like the people who are in power continue to abuse their power just to get ahead? And so you're left at the bottom of the trenches as a result. Do you ever feel like injustice reigns and you look around and all you see is it's not fair? The world isn't the way that it was supposed to be. 
Do you ever feel like the rules of society and culture are actually stacked against you? That someone else or some other entity is just like waiting for you to mess up so that they can come in and throw you out of place and take whatever possessions, power, authority you have. And if you've ever felt any of those things, it's likely that you know how these first century listeners felt. And so then, this is your life, but you hear these rumors of this guy, this guy named Jesus, who's walking around and teaching people, repent, turn, pay attention. The kingdom has come near. And so you follow him up the side of a mountain, and he sits down and you begin listening to what he has to say. You begin to listen to what he says that this kingdom is all about. And he starts to talk in such a way where he begins to name different types of people or characteristics or attributes that we should consider are blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Now, as a first century person, you've heard things like this before. This isn't a new type of teaching. This is a, this is a standard style of teaching. You've heard it all before. It's this list of blessings. In Jewish literature, naming the people or characteristics who should be considered blessed or achievements that people should go after, it was totally common. It's not new. But to help you really understand how they would have heard this, I wanted to create a list of blessings that a modern-day middle schooler might hold on to. It would read like this. Blessed are you who have an iPhone and an unlimited data plan. Blessed are you who have unlimited friends and followers. Blessed are you whose texts are always returned with immediacy. And blessed are you who are talented at sports and never drop your tray in the middle of the cafeteria. This is what it would be like. It would be like, yes, of course, that is what would be blessed in the world of a modern-day middle schooler. It would be a go figure. Of course, that's what it is. And so the lists of blessings that were commonly given were values for a particular community, culture, or kingdom that one lived in. These were the things that were listed as worthwhile pursuits. These were the things that would make somebody worthy or favored or popular or important. These were the highest ideals. These things were essentially how you knew that God shined on you and God was favoring you. But the interesting thing about these first century listeners who had come to listen to Jesus is... They had never made any list. (laughs) No one had ever put them on the list of blessings. No one had ever said, you've got it. You've got what it takes. You are favored. You are important. You are valuable. Nobody ever did that for them. And so when they began to hear Jesus talk about these list of blessings, I imagine that they anticipated, oh, here we go. One more list that lists the healthy, the wealthy, and the wise. One more list that clearly doesn't include me. Maybe at the end he'll give us some pointers of how maybe we could become like that if we try harder to do better. But actually, that was not what Jesus did at all. Then there was this great surprise. There was this great reversal, and Jesus teaches this. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. 
Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Now, I want to make sure that the surprise of what Jesus says is not lost on you. Because for some of us, these words are so unfamiliar. We don't use words like blessing or merciful or meek that we can't quite get what Jesus is saying. We can't figure out the surprise. And for others of us, these words are so familiar that we're like, yeah, 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 I don't know. I could have, I could have, like some of you were mouthing it as I was reading it. I memorized this. I know these things. And so it's so familiar that we lose the surprise. It doesn't hit us. And so what I wanted to do this morning is I actually wanted to create sort of the, the experience within you of what that surprise, what that re- reversal might have felt like if you were a first century listener. So I wanted to share the artwork of, uh, the artwork of Tim Noble and Sue Webster with you. So if you were to go to a gallery where they were showing Sue, the artwork, the sculptures of Sue Webster and Tim Noble, you would walk into a dimly lit room, and in the corner of the room, you would see sort of a pile of trash. And you would just kind of see, and you'd notice that there was like lots of McDonald's containers and uh, trash bags, and it's all just sitting there, and you're like, what the heck, what is this hippy-dippy modern art like? This is just trash. There's no meaning. There's no purpose. This is nothing. And then you would walk to another corner of the room, and you might see this. It's a table with sort of cans and bottles that are just lined up along the table. And as you look closer, you see that there's actually shotgun holes. Well, not shotgun holes. BB gun. BB gun holes throughout all the cans and the bottles and shot up into the table. And you're like, I mean, maybe. I remember, like, nostalgically doing that in middle school. Like, okay, fine. And, but this isn't really art. And then you go over to another section. You see this strange, strange thing. Again, really dimly lit with sort of these different pieces and metal and wood objects precariously hung on top of each other. And sort of there's this question of, like, what is this? This is garbage. This is trash. This is worthless. Uh, my little kid could have done this. And so maybe you turn And you start to walk out of the room. And then at the corner of your eye, you see a spotlight come on onto one of the statues. And all of a sudden, you notice what was once the heap of trash actually has a very interesting silhouette. And the shadow that is cast behind the trash, you notice, looks like there are are people. There are, are people that are sleeping among the trash or behind the trash. And then you start to think, how did... Is that photoshopped? How did they do that? What, what is that? You look closer and you see, no, 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 that's definitely the trash strategically placed in a particular way in order to create the silhouette. And then another spotlight comes on and you look over back to the table. And no longer is it just shot up bottle can, bottles and cans. It's now a skylight. How perfectly those holes were made in order to cast the light to create the windows in the, spot, in the skylight. And then another one comes on. And what was once that random two scraps of wood and metal, now is this amazing silhouette of two people that, that look so detailed and so lifelike that you wonder yourself, this isn't possible. How, how could that 
heaps of trash possibly be, how could it possibly be that? Where, where does, like he's got a ring on his finger. How did they do that so perfectly and so articulate, articulately? There is this great surprise each time the light comes on. And this is the great reversal. There was something so much more hidden. All of us dismissed it as trash until the light came on. The light provides the shift to see everything completely differently. Now, again, if you're like me, you want to like actually be there in person. You want to see, like, no, 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 I don't. <laughs> is that really there? I want to I wanna figure out what is making the ring and what's making the hair pieces that are sticking up. I want to understand it more. I want to take a closer look because it's such a great surprise. It's such a great reversal that it seems unbelievable. And this is what Jesus is saying when he says, repent. The kingdom of God is near. When he lists the lists of those who are blessed, Jesus is saying, turn from the ways that you used to think because the kingdom of God is near. Surprise! The kingdom of God looks nothing like you thought it did. You need to change your thinking. Jesus wants us to know that in the kingdom that is coming, everything is upside down. The kingdom that is coming, everything is different than it seemed. That those who were thought to be the down and outs, the broken, the not good enoughs, the not have enoughs, that those are actually the most important. Those are actually the people who are most valuable and most worthy. In this society, it is those who are the unimportant, the worthless, the expendable, and the weakest. And Jesus flips the light on and he says, no, 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 no. In my kingdom, those are the most important. Those are the most valuable. Those are the essential. Those are the strong. And these are the ones that my kingdom belongs to. And so I want to go through Jesus's sermon, this, this first part, this list of blessings, and I want to shine a spotlight on each clump of trash and see if we can see them a bit different, if we can wait for the surprise and see the great reversal of what's happening. And so the first one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The moment that Jesus says this one, the ears of those listening probably perked up because, after all, they were poor. Now, for a lot of people in our modern world, there's sort of this debate that when Jesus says this, is he talking about the economically poor? Or when it says poor in spirit, is he talking about, like, your attitude and your being is poor? That's a really modern way to approach this thing because what the first century would have experienced is that if you are poor, you are poor in every single way. If you are economically poor... You are poor in being, and you are poor in attitude, and you are poor in spirit, and you are unimportant, and no one wants to listen to anything that you say because you get tossed aside. You are pegged for being unadmirable and unlistened to, which often causes, in turn, for people to believe about themselves that they are the spiritual losers of society. But Matthew comes and and he puts them in this favorable position. Jesus says that the kingdom belongs to them first. Now, that doesn't mean that those who are rich or those who are important can't have access to the kingdom. That, that's not it at all. But it's often those who are secure, those who are powerful, that they have a lot to lose when it comes to following Jesus. They have a lot of shifting in their lives that makes it harder for them to say yes to Jesus. But it's those who are poor, 
It's those who are overlooked. It's those who are tossed aside that are perfectly postured to receive the kingdom. And this is why those who are poor economically and in being are in a favorable position in the kingdom. And this is why Jesus says the kingdom is yours. And Jesus goes on and he says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And I want to go through these ones backwards. Have you ever felt really hungry? We're really, really thirsty. Like, you feel like you're dying inside. And you're like, oh my gosh, I have to get something. This is my children's reaction every time they have to go to bed. I'm so thirsty! I need water! Like, I didn't give them water all day. But the thing about being super hungry or super thirsty is, is oftentimes it's not fun. You didn't choose it. That unless you maybe are choosing to fast for some, for some particular reason, you didn't choose it. It's not fun. It's not something you chose. It's happening to you. It's a re- response to the circumstances that are around you. And what Jesus is doing is he's making a comparison to those who hunger and thirst for food and drink those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, I know righteousness is not a word that we normally use, but, but it means like right relationship. It means that something has happened to make a relationship right between two people. And if you did a righteous action, you did something to fix the brokenness of a relationship. So somebody who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, they see the brokenness of a family or a marriage or a friend or even society and they long for it to be made right. A righteous action is one where somebody does something in order to keep or restore a relationship. Jesus is saying that blessed are those who see a lack of rightness in our world and they long deeply and in, in a visceral way for it to be restored. You are blessed because you noticed that not everything is well. And you need to know that God is doing something about it. You will be satisfied. Those who mourn, blessed are those who mourn. They, they see what's going on and it saddens them. They're paying enough attention to be moved by the thing. They're not just trying to ignore it or be distracted with alcohol and Netflix and milkshakes in order to no longer pay attention to what's going on around them. But they're willing to sit in mourning and to feel all the feels and allow the wave of grief to wash over them. Blessed are the meek. Meek is a word for unimportant, and it doesn't mean that they're not necessarily unimportant really, but unimportant in their mind that they don't think of themselves as important. They might be very important, but they've never thought about it that way. They see the brokenness of the world. They see the broken relationships, and they long for it to be different. They mourn for it, but they don't have any power to do anything about it. You will see power moved in such a way that the whole earth will one day belong to the meek. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. The merciful are people who see a big picture of the world and realize how broken it is and how complex the broken systems are and how hard and difficult it would be to fix everything. But they also see one person. They see their neighbor and they see their coworker. They see their neighbor who needs food and their coworker who needs acceptance, and they know that small acts of mercy and kindness 
can radiate out. And so they do them. They find ways to take care of one. They find ways to do something. And Jesus says that when you are merciful, mercy will be given back to you. Blessed are the pure in heart. Jesus says don't allow power and prestige to sway you. The pure in heart are the ones who do the right thing regardless of the consequences, regardless of what they might lose because they just want to see God. They just want to see truth happen. They want to see right things happen. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they are call, will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are bothered by the brokenness of the world, who instead of becoming numb to it, they grieve and they mourn, they engage in small acts of mercy. Blessed are them because God is with them. Sometimes we see parties in conflict. People in our lives start to argue, and sometimes our response is like, let me just not do anything about it. Like, you guys, I'm staying out of this. Jesus is saying, blessed is the person who enters into the conflict between two feuding parties, who loves both of them so much that they get into the trenches and get involved and say, we got to find some middle ground. We got to work together. I'm going to love you both. I'm not going to pick sides. And this is a terrible position to be in because you know what happens to peacemakers. Both people hate them. It's the most unpleasant thing in the world. But reconciliation is like a chief value of the kingdom. And so those who are peacemakers know that they are at peace with God and so they can put themselves in the crossfire of the gap of conflict and they hope for peace. And what Jesus says after, of these peacemakers is he says, you look like your dad. You're a, chi- you're a child of God. And finally, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And Jesus says that if you try any of these things, if you try to be blessed in the kingdom of God, if you see the brokenness of the world and you don't become numb to the pain, but you engage in acts of mercy and you insert yourself into conflict to restore unity, stuff's going to get hard. Stuff's going to get real hard. You are going to be hated. You are going to be persecuted and people will insult you. They won't understand why you're doing what you're doing and they'll just tell you, why can't you live up to the list that our society tells us is blessed. But you don't because you have chosen to be a part of a totally different kingdom, one where your valued and importance and worth depends on being poor and unimportant and powerless and pure and persecuted. The point of Jesus teaching all of this stuff isn't to say, hey, you need to become these things so that you can be blessed. Remember who he's talking to. The group of people he's talking to already are these people. They are already the poor and the powerless. They already meet this criteria. For them, Jesus is saying that because you already are these things, you're blessed. The kingdom is with you. God is already with you. Because you are broken, because you are mourning, you have been blessed. The kingdom is first and foremost open and available to you. Now, can you imagine this group of people who's listening to Jesus? All your life, you have been told that you didn't measure up, 
that you are worthless, that you don't meet society's standards, that you're a throwaway and we're pretty much just waiting for you to screw up so I can take your land. And then Jesus comes and says, this kingdom that I bring is one where you are valued and you are worthy and you are important and you belong without having to do anything more, without having to achieve anything more or change anything. It has come so Turn towards it. The kingdom of God is near. This is why the people flocked to Jesus. This is why repent the kingdom of God is near is good news for the crowds. And it's good news for you and for me too. Now, as you listen to this, you will likely have one of two responses. If you see yourself on that list and you say, praise the Lord, he sees me mourning. You see yourself on the list and you say, yes, I hunger for righteousness. And yes, I feel poor and powerless. And yes, I feel like I'm caught between all this conflict. If you see yourself on the list, it's likely that your response is rejoice. It's likely that your response is just overjoyed because you realize that Jesus is saying the kingdom is yours. That that you get to be a part of this thing and that in the kingdom's fulfillment, you will no longer mourn, you will be satisfied. You will no longer hunger and thirst because God will meet those needs. God will comfort. And for you, you get to just lean in to the blessing that God gives you. But there's another side. There are probably others of us who read that list and say, but I'm not on there. Why are they blessed? Why does God care about the poor? Why does he care about the hungry? Why does he care about those people? I'm important too. And for you, if if you don't see yourself on the list, this list of blessings likely is a pretty big challenge for you. It doesn't mean that you don't get to participate in the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean that you aren't welcomed in. See, this is the great reversal. Jesus' teachings always seem to comfort the disturbed but they also seem to disturb the comfortable. And in this, there's an invitation to also join the kingdom. You're invited to follow as well, but you have to know that as you follow, as you engage the kingdom, the values of the kingdom will take root in your heart in a deep way until one day you find yourself mourning and you find yourself looking at the world and saying, wow, this place is real broken. And you find yourself in the middle of crossfire between feuding parties and feeling meek and like you have little power to do anything. But here's the thing that I want to make sure that you don't miss. That the values of the kingdoms that are described as through these blessings are actually this amazing work of art. Um, Similar to Tim Noble and Sue Webster, if you shined a light on all of these things together, you would see the silhouette of a particular person. Do you have any idea who you will see? Do you have any idea whose profile or whose shadow will pop up? Who do you know that was born in poor, insignificant circumstances? Who mourned and was overcome by the brokenness and sin of this world and the people that he met? Who do you know that thought that though he was very important, didn't act or think of himself as though he was important? Who do you know that longed to see the world set right? So with small acts of mercy to hurting individuals, he showed his devotion to the kingdom and he inserted himself into the dangerous situations between people who hated each other. And he was persecuted and ultimately he got killed for it. 
you see Jesus. You flip the lights on and you see Jesus. Jesus understood completely what it meant to be human, what it meant to experience all of the things that, that society and the world says is garbage, is throwaway, is trash. And he said, no, 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 these are the values of the kingdom. And Jesus lived a life that perfectly epitomized these values of the kingdom. And even in his death, you could see the kingdom and how it embodied these blessings. And it's in his resurrection that flipped the lights on and turned everything around so that me and you and everyone can take part and belong to this kingdom. Now today, we're going to take communion together as a reminder of his death that allowed people to enter in and participate in the kingdom. And so the, during the next song, the ushers are going to come forward and they're going to pass the tray. And you're going to grab a cup and a wafer as those are passed down the line. And we'll take communion together. But what I want to invite you to do is I want you to, to think about where are you on the list? Are you on the list? And have a conversation with God about whether you rejoice in that fact or if you're not on the list, what you need to do to move towards it. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much that your son came to die for us. I thank you so much that your son is the one who speaks life and truth to us. Father, I thank you so much that, that in the ways that we feel like we are not enough, you say, no, you are just what I need. And that you welcome us into the kingdom all because of the death of your son, Jesus. Would you speak that truth to our heart this morning? Would you allow us to worship you? Would you give us eyes to see the great reversal and the great surprise? Would you shine light on the dark places of our society? Would you show us what it looks like, what, how you see the God-forsaken places, how you see the people who are hurting, the people who are poor, and the people who desperately need you? And would you allow us to proclaim that your kingdom has come? We pray all of these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.